Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Okay, a couple of game time changes. You know how they, they always have a game plan, but there's always the day of the game where they change things. We're going to do a little bit of that. First, the baptism fellowship today, no baptism fellowship today. It is canceled, primarily because no one came to me with an interest in being baptized. Hard to have a baptism fellowship when no one wants to be baptized. But what we are going to do is uh, have a reschedule of fellowship time, probably sometime in September. So we are going to set that up. So this afternoon, no baptism fellowship. Also, I received a text last night. All of you know about Hurricane Harvey, all of the stuff that's been going on down in Texas. And last night I received a text from Kelly Osnes, who has some friends. Perhaps some of you guys know these people. I do not uh, know them, but have heard about Ron and Julie Watson. Anybody know Ron and Julie? Okay, several of you do. They're from Texas, Rockport, Texas, a community that was significantly impacted by Hurricane Harvey. They are heading down to Texas tomorrow uh, to try to bring some relief to their community. And they are asking that if we can donate any kind of uh, supplies such as water, bottled water, flashlight batteries, diapers, uh, infant formula, anything along those lines that you think might be useful for someone who has lost everything and they might need right away. Ron and Julie are going to be going down to Texas tomorrow. So if you want to participate in that, please bring it by the church tomorrow morning sometime between 8 and 11. They're going to try to hit the road around 11. So I will be here at the church. Pat will be here. And we will receive whatever you want to give. And so we can make a small uh, contribution to those who are in difficult circumstances down there. Difficult circumstances. A lot of that going on, as I mentioned, you know. The political discourse that we in our nation, and, and really I suppose around the world, are experiencing. The environment in which we live seems to be one, in many respects, which is spiraling out of control. Now, that's true in, in, in some respects. In other respects, some of you are being extraordinarily blessed. God's goodness, the peace of God, all of that surrounds you. But I, I, I think, and this isn't my message. We'll get into my message. This is free of charge. Um, <laughs> I think we live in an interesting time. You know, the world has always experienced sin. Ever since Cain slew Abel, there has been hostility in our world, the existence of sin. And certainly we're experiencing a heightened level of uh, civil discord, worldwide terrorism. We look at the, the fabric of our society, and it seems to be, in many respects, being ripped apart at the seams. And we wonder, what's going on? Well, 
there have always been, as I said, difficult times. I think difficult times are always an opportunity for the church to rise up and to be salt and light. To be that voice, as I said, of love, joy, and peace in the midst of turbulent times. You know, Jesus said, as did the Apostle Paul, that in the end times, perilous times will be experienced. All kinds of uh, wild and uncontrolled behavior. Perhaps we're entering into that, perhaps we're not. I don't know. I imagine that the people who lived in 1861 were pretty upset about the civil discord in the nation at that time. Over 600,000 men and women killed during the Civil War. Where are we heading? What's going on in the world? Here's what I know. That regardless of what happens in the world around us, our stability as Christians is unshakable. And we'll talk about that in the message. But it's unshakable because God remains seated upon the throne. There is nothing happening in the world today or in your life today that surprises God, that God is uncertain about. I've been reading in my daily devotions the book of Job. And it's interesting to me every time I read in Job, I'll be going along and I'll, I'll read Job's discourse and then one of his counselor's discourses and I'll think, well, that sounds right. That sounds true. That sounds spiritually accurate. And then I get to the end of the book where God chastises all of them because he has a sovereign purpose in all of this experience that none of them perceived or understood. That's how it is with us. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, who are the call according to his purpose. So take comfort. Be assured today in these turbulent times that you have a ministry. You have a purpose for being. Your voice, your presence, just like with Esther, has been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Okay. Sermon on the Mount, living in the kingdom. I want to read out of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. It says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. This is Jesus' counsel to those who are seeking after the things that appear to be very necessary. He says to them, Why do you worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then he puts the capstone on that challenge to his disciples to say, here's your marching orders. This is what I want you to do. 
I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. All of the other things will be taken care of. God knows what you have need of. He's not up there scrambling around saying, how am I going to clothe my children? And so we're going to talk about living in the kingdom this morning, helping you to understand the context in which you as a Christian live, whether you know it or not. Knowing it is helpful. But you live in the kingdom of God as a child of God. So we're going to talk about the foundations of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about how the kingdom of God functions. And we're going to look at the future of the kingdom of God. Foundations. First, we must understand that the kingdom of God is eternal. It's not an afterthought for God. It's not something that he's trying to squeeze in somewhere, wherever it might fit. The kingdom of God is eternal. The psalmist, in several places, recognizes this. I'm going to read for you out of Psalm 45. And this is quoted also in the book of Hebrews. But he says, Your throne, O God, lasts forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above all of your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So it's an eternal kingdom. It's a kingdom that has always existed. God has always been on the throne of the universe. He has never been unseated. Even in the rebellion of Lucifer, God was not unseated. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. There is nothing that can take away his ability to rule. Very important that we understand this. And that has been the case from the very beginnings, before time even existed, and it will continue on through all existence. God's kingdom is eternal. Additionally, God's kingdom is unshakable and in the context of some of what I've shared to you with you this morning, it's important for us to remember this. God's kingdom is unshakable. The writer of the epistle to the Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God's kingdom is unshakable. As I said, all of the turbulence in which we live that has existed from the time of Cain's murder of Abel throughout this very moment has not surprised God. God is not trying to reconfigure things to adjust to our sin. He reigns over an unshakable kingdom. And as the song the worship team sang this morning says, also an undefeatable kingdom. You live within this eternal, unshakable kingdom. But also, and perhaps most wonderfully, this kingdom in which we live is glorious. The psalmist David writes, 
The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all that he has made. All of your works praise you, Lord. Your people who are faithful extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting one and your dominion endures through all generations. So it's a glorious kingdom in which we live. Now, I don't care how impoverished materially you may be. You, as a child of the king, through faith, live in a glorious kingdom. Peter writes that you possess all things that pertain to life and godliness. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places are yours as a child of God, as a part of that glorious kingdom. So these are the foundations of the kingdom in which we live. It's eternal. It's unshakable. It's glorious. Now, the enemy of our souls tries to deceive us into thinking that we live in a temporal kingdom, in a kingdom that is easily unseated, in a kingdom that is not filled with glory, but filled with sorrow instead. See, this is where it's so important that we become people of faith, that we become people of the word, that we listen to and believe what God has said versus what the world says and what our experience tends to try to focus us upon. Which is true? Our experience or the word of God's comment upon our experience. I'm going to suggest to you that it's the word of God because there are so many times, and you, you've experienced this too, I know you have, where, where you think you understand a situation that you're going through. You think you have the facts available to you. And you've outlined this experience in a certain way. You have developed a perspective on the experience And then later, new information comes in. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize that. That's how it is with our experience. We think we know what we're going through, but I'm telling you, the word of God is eternal. And the word of God's comment upon our experience as children of the king who live in an eternal unshakable, glorious kingdom, that is what I am going to believe. Not my understanding of or interpretation regarding my experience. So we live in this amazing kingdom that God has always reigned over. This was the very first thing that Jesus began to preach about. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, It says, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee and began proclaiming the good news of God, saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the very first words out of Jesus' mouth had to do with the kingdom of God coming, being near. Why? Because the king was there. Jesus had arrived. The king had come. And wherever the king is, the kingdom of God has come near. And so Jesus began to preach and to proclaim the kingdom of God to the Jewish nation to let them know their king 
had come. But even after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, he didn't stop preaching the kingdom of God. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, it says, after his suffering, he presented himself, this is speaking of Jesus, to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of and teaching about the kingdom of God. So even in his post-resurrection appearances, he was teaching about, proclaiming the kingdom of God. This political entity that originated from heaven and ultimately will reign sovereignly over all things. And we'll talk about that on the third point. So Jesus' message was the kingdom of God. The message of the apostles was the kingdom of God. If you will do a search, and I'm not going to go through all of the scriptures here this morning, but the apostle Paul taught from the very outset of his ministry through Acts 28 about the kingdom of God. The apostle Peter spoke frequently of the kingdom of God. James, in his epistle, writes of the kingdom of God. And as we read, the writer to the epistle of Hebrews, likewise, talks about the kingdom of God. Do you think they're trying to get a message across to us, to those people who are reading these words, to help them, to help us understand we live in God's kingdom? under the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ? See, the reason I'm teaching on this this morning is because this really is the culmination of the Sermon on the Mount. We, we talked about giving and prayer and fasting and discernment and building upon a foundation that was solid. All of those things are activities, disciplines that we are to build into our lives because we live in God's kingdom. Because he is sovereign over us. Because he has the authority to dictate to us how he wants his kingdom to operate. You see, we don't get to choose as his servants the operating principles of the kingdom of God. See, that's one of the funny things about kingdoms, is kings get to rule. And fortunately for us, we live in a kingdom that has a benevolent sovereign. So the kingdom of God, foundational to understanding who you are, how you are supposed to live, and ultimately where you are going. So let's talk about that a little bit, the function of, of the kingdom of God. How do you enter into the kingdom of God? Interestingly, Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, he was preaching to the Jews, and he said to them, the kingdom of God does not come visually. In other words, you won't be able to perceive, oh, there's a building going up here. Ah, there's a political entity being established there. It's the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said, that's not how it comes. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. Because the kingdom that Jesus rules over begins in our hearts. It's not primarily an external political entity, but it's an entity that emerges from a heart relationship with God. 
that originates with the gospel. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus at night. And Nicodemus was asking him questions. He says, I know you must be a teacher sent from God. No one could do the things you do unless they had been sent from God. And Jesus, in response to that, says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's pretty emphatic, isn't it? There's no angling in from a back door. Jesus says there's one way to get into the kingdom of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door to the sheepfold. No one gets in unless they are born again. And then Nicodemus asks him, well, how can someone be born when they are old? And Nicodemus said to him, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, no one, again, emphasizing what he had just said, can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So you, as a child of the King, have been born again of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God indwells each one of us, according to the Scriptures. That is what identifies us as citizens of the kingdom. Is the Holy Spirit within us. Now, a lot of different people throughout the centuries have developed a lot of different ideas about what the kingdom of God ought to be, how it ought to operate. But the Apostle Paul gave us from the very outset a description of what the kingdom of God looks like. He writes about it in Romans chapter 14. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, as I said, you have become a citizen of the kingdom of God through the new birth. You are a child of God through the new birth. You have become a legitimate citizen of the kingdom. And you have also become an ambassador of the principles of the kingdom to those who do not live in the kingdom. Listen to what Paul writes to the Philippians. He's talking about unbelievers, and he says, For as I have told you many times before and tell you again now, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame because their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians that we are new creations. He says, if anybody is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old things have all passed away. 
and the new is here. And all of this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we are new creatures in Christ. We've been born again of the Spirit. You are, and I've said this many times to you, but you must understand it, you are supernatural. The Holy Spirit of God indwells you, empowers you. And he empowers you to be a minister of reconciliation, to take forth the message of Christ, he says, as ambassadors of Christ, who through God are making his appeal on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. So we are children of the king, citizens of the kingdom, and we have become ambassadors of that kingdom, to represent to those who are lost, who are heading down a pathway to a devil's hell, that there is a kingdom in which you can live, and it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Through belief in the gospel, you can be born again and become a new creature where all of the old things, all of those ugly things, all of those destructive things can become new in Christ. That's how we are to function in the kingdom, with an unrelenting recognition, a a, a true north that we are citizens of the kingdom, ambassadors of the principles of reconciliation that the king has made possible through his death, burial, and resurrection. We need to take the, the perspective, church, that we live with eyes focused on an eternal kingdom. This is not the end. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Galatians chapter 2. Paul the Apostle writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself So each one of us have been crucified with Christ. All of our sin, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you ever will commit, nailed to the cross of Calvary, forgiven, washed away as far as the east is from the west. That's the wonderful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as a citizen of the kingdom, you live without condemnation. This is what the apostle said in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We as citizens of the kingdom should be the most free of any people because we have no condemnation, no guilt. It has been washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we go forth in that freedom to proclaim that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You can have a new life, a new way of experiencing this world, a power over sin that you never had before. And this leads us into the third part of the kingdom, the future of the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God exists now by faith. All of the stuff I'm telling you is absolutely true. You can bet the bank on it. But you have to see it through faith. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. We believe the words of God 
about the kingdom of God and the fact that we have entered into it through the new birth. But we don't see it yet. Jesus has promised that he will return again for us. It's what he said in John chapter 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't be discomforted. Don't be uh, anxious. Be comforted. For if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will return to you. Jesus is coming back. The kingdom in which we now live is a kingdom that we see through eyes of faith. But there will come a time when Jesus Christ returns to the earth as he has promised. Over 1,800 times in the Old Testament alone, there is reference to the coming eternal kingdom of God upon a recreated earth and a recreated heaven. It's something that we will experience. And it's because of the resurrection. It's because of Jesus rising from the dead. Because just as we are crucified with Christ, so too have we risen with him. As Paul wrote to the Colossians. But listen to this. This is one of my favorite parts of Scripture. If this passage doesn't get you charged up, well, we'll just leave it there. Listen to what Peter says. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, listen, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is to say, when Jesus Christ returns. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in various kinds of trials, but these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Wow. Okay, I'm just going to have to say it. Let's do it. Wow. All together now. One, two, three. Wow. I mean, that's honestly, is there better news than what I just read? This testing that you're going through, God is going to pull you through because he has something in mind for you. That's why you're going through it, just as Job did. God has a sovereign, supernatural purpose in your life that absolutely encompasses the suffering that you are going through. It's purposeful. It's meaningful. It's intentional. God is not just letting you go through things saying, oh yeah, Greg, I've got to get around to him. He knows what I'm going through. And he has a purpose in it. Because ultimately, my faith is going to be proved genuine. And when Jesus comes back, and I am resurrected with him, and I enter into his eternal kingdom, everything 
will make sense. <laughs> All joy will fill my heart. Because not only do I then get to see him face to face, as John said, and become like him in his eternal resurrected condition, but I will, and you will too, get to reign with him over his eternal kingdom. This is the mind blower. And there's several places where this is talked about, but I'm just going to read for you out of um, the book of Revelation. Chapter 22, last chapter in the entire Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, New Jerusalem. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will, the, will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord their God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. This is where the kingdom of God is heading. We see now through a mirror dimly. Our eyes do not perceive the entirety of the plan of God, nor are we able to fully grasp the glory of the kingdom of God. But we know by faith, through the words of God that he has given to us, that it is coming, and that our reality here upon this earth is indeed couched in the reality of the kingdom of God. But the future that awaits you, the eternal future that awaits you, is glorious beyond our ability to fully grasp. That's why God has not given us every detail. But he's given us enough to know that the future of the kingdom of God is amazing. And that we, as his children, as citizens, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God today, can function understanding that righteousness, peace, and joy ought to be the primary characteristics of our lives. Yes, we will grieve. Yes, we will mourn. Tony and Ellie Smith lost their precious daughter this week, 28 years old died in a head-on collision. But they have the hope of the resurrection that buoys them and encourages them. I wasn't he able to be here yesterday, but Val was telling me about Tony and Ellie with their hands lifted high yesterday, worshiping. That's when you know You've got a future. And that's because we have a Savior who loves us with an everlasting love. Kingdom of God, living in the kingdom of God. 
Never let it go. Let it become the primary vision of who you are and how you live and where you are headed. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that Jesus Christ will return on a white horse and he will defeat the forces of evil and there will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Until that day comes, Lord, we are your ambassadors, living by the principles of the kingdom that you have given us. Empower us through your spirit, Lord. Help us to be overcomers. Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Absolutely nothing. In Jesus' name we pray.